Welcome to our Best of Podcast. We will replay some of the interviews from our latest podcast. Coming up in the next segment, we will replay an interview with our good friend, Irish Bill from the Southern Gentleman Sports Show Just Kenneth as they talked about the Notre Dame and Florida State game on Sunday night. You can follow Bill on Twitter at IrishBill63. Kenneth was also joined by our good friend, Ole Miss Evie as they talked about the Ole Miss and Louisville game on Monday night. You can follow Evie on Twitter at Ole Miss Evie and her site The Rebel Walk on Twitter at The Rebel Walk. Kenneth was also joined by our good friend, Taylor Bell as they talked about the Georgia and Clemson game on Saturday night. You can follow Taylor on Twitter at TaylorBell222 and his podcast Hopeless Sportsmatic. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm pleased to be joined by my good friend Irish Bill. You can hear Irish Bill every Saturday morning with the Georgia Dog, Pac-12 Dave, breaking down all things college sports on the Southern Gentleman Sports Show. Irish Bill, it's a pleasure to have you on, my friend. Well, I appreciate you having me on, Kenneth. All right. Notre Dame coming off a college football playoff appearance. Um, the expectations there in South Bend are always high. So let's get into this matchup. Out goes um, all-time leading win um, wins for a quarterback, Ian Book, replaced by Jack uh, Cohen, uh, the Wisconsin transfer. Tell me a little bit about this quarterback that's going to be um, taking over there in South Bend. Well, I got a little bit more information. Uh, my wife is a Wisconsin grad. Um, so I watch a lot of Wisconsin football. Uh, he's more of a game-type manager, um, not a real strong arm. He just uh, he controls the game. Uh, he gets you yardage. And with the Notre Dame's backs that they have back there, I, I see for them uh, running the ball a little bit more early on in the season. And, and speaking of those two talented running backs, uh, Kyron Williams and, and Chris Tyree, uh, not a better duo in, in all of college football than those guys. And I expect in this matchup with Florida State for them to run behind. Once again, if, if there's a if there's a school that produces quality offensive linemen, Notre Dame has definitely put themselves in that in that category. And I expect them to run left behind what could be an all American type um candidate in uh left tackle Jared um Patterson. Most definitely. But what I'm excited to see, though, this year is this freshman they have coming in. He was uh, everything coming out of high school, and that's one Blake Fisher, only a true freshman. And they got another freshman as well that may be seeing some playing time, maybe as the season goes on, and Rocco Spindler. That's fantastic because if any group, um, like I said, that um, – has developed a track record over the past few years of developing quality offensive linemen. I mean, you just sent, what was it, three to the NFL, and I don't expect uh, Patterson not to be far from behind. As far as playmakers go, I'm excited to see this tight end, uh, Michael Meyer, um, six foot five, 250-pound tight end, uh, could definitely be a red zone threat for um, your quarterback, Jack Cohen, there. Most definitely. We saw what type of game he has in the, in the uh, playoff game against Alabama. He was mm -hmm. one of very few uh, players on Notre Dame that actually had a, a decent-sized game. And, and uh, the guy is just a beast. And if you get the ball anywhere near his hands, he's a guy that kind of has like suction cups for hands, and he doesn't yes. drop a whole lot of passes. And as far as the wide receiver's position, I, I really haven't – uh, been able to find a standout guy as far as that number one wide receiver 
uh, that they can lean on early in the season. Do you expect, especially in this ball game, in that atmosphere that's going to be uh, just going bonkers there in Gold Campbell Stadium, is there a wide receiver you're going to have your eye on uh, in this first game of the season? Well, I'm kind of right there with you. There's not been a whole lot coming out of Notre Dame as far as out of their spring game or even uh, practices uh, early on in the fall. But I think what they're hoping for is we're going to finally see the emergence of one uh, Kevin Austin. There's been a lot of mm-hmm. talk about how talented this receiver is, but he has had trouble staying on the field, whether it be for one reason or another. Right. Um, he's a very talented wide receiver, but we have yet to see him uh, uh, put into play consistently. Uh, there's a couple other receivers out there that we may see as senior Avery Davis. You mm-hmm. know how coach – how coach likes to uh, uh, play his seniors and his ju- juniors and seniors leadership out there. Sometimes he'll play those over a more talented, maybe freshman or sophomore. And I think especially on the road, I mean, we're going to have fans back in the, in the stands and, and I expect that atmosphere in dope to be extremely, um, extremely rowdy because it's the first game since coach Bowden has passed and, um, it being a home game against a team that uh, kind of handled them last year up in South Bend, uh, being the Irish, and really expect to see um, that atmosphere. So you want to kind of have some guys who've had some games under their belts, who've played in, in big-time games, and especially with uh, some of the guys that you're bringing back there for Notre Dame uh, to lean on. As far as Kevin Austin, wanted to jump back on him for just a second he kind of has that Will Fuller kind of ability where he can stretch the defense. He's just got to be, like you said, he's got to be available both on the field and then once he's in the games, he's got to be able to make plays, especially down the field. That's for sure. Uh, like I said, I've been hearing a lot of talk. I listen to Bill King all the time. He's mm-hmm. a favorite. He loves Kevin Austin, but until you stay on the field, then there's not really – much you can talk about this young man until he actually proves it on the field. But there's this other freshman that I'm really looking forward to, uh, Lorenzo Styles. Um, okay. A lot of talk about him coming in and uh, producing. But, you know, with, with Coach, we don't see a whole lot of freshmen out there in those skilled positions early on other than Michael Mayer. Right. And turning, turning the attention over to the defense now, um, a, a young man that I've been high on, especially um, coming into the draft process, uh, he's definitely on, on my watch list, and that's that safety, Kyle Hamilton. I, I think this young man could be the prototype safety at the next level. Most definitely, and he reminds me of a little of a guy that used to play for the Bengals years ago that had like he was like 6'2", 6'3". I'm trying to replace his name, um, mm-hmm. but he's a big hitter. He covers the field uh, rather well. Um, he's he can hit you. He's six four. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't have too many six four safeties out there. And he's definitely, in my eyes, going to probably be a top fifteen draft pick. I'll tell you the guy. He reminds me of of just breaking down some tape. He reminds me a lot of John Lynch coming out of Stanford. Rangy can both play the uh, the deep center field, but. If it comes to dropping down and run support, he will absolutely bring a sledgehammer with him. Most definitely. And, and uh, I, I look for big things out of him. But uh, there was a big loss today, though. I believe it was either in yesterday's practice 
or mm-hmm. uh, early today, uh, backup linebacker Maurice Luafawa. Uh, okay, broke it broke his leg, uh, oh. so he he had to go in for surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know the extent of the the uh, surgery or the the injury, uh, but they're going to be losing him for for a while. I don't know how serious the injury is. They may lose end up losing him for the season. Right. And that's going to be key because you definitely want to have as many guys in that that front seven rotation. Hey, Bill, speaking of that front seven, um, outside of Drew White and maybe Isaiah um, Falski, who is is one of those guys in that front seven you're going to be keeping your eye on? Well – the one with the that's hard to pronounce his his last name. We're going to go with Myron Tagovailoa Amosa. Amosa, yes. <laughs> and uh, hopefully, I did justice to his name. Uh, but, Been practicing uh, looking, it all day because I thought you might throw that name at me. So yes. Yeah, and then you got Kurt Hennish is also another senior there on the defensive line, and uh, Jason Amadiola, um, another solid guy. Those are the projected three starters up front, and throw Foskey in there as well. Mm-hmm. Now, turning turning the attention over to th- this Florida State roster, um, we know that Mike Norvell I- I- is in the process of kind of kind of implementing his program, coming off a of COVID season, not really having a true spring last year, a, a, a very shortened season. As far as the Florida State side of it, um, who are some players that you're looking that Notre Dame is going to have to kind of watch out for? whether it's on the offensive side or defensive side? Well, we haven't heard a whole lot coming out as far as who they're going to lead, lead on towards their uh, – for the quarterback position. I'm looking for either Mackenzie Milton or Travis Jordan. I got mm-hmm. to see Jordan play last year in the North Carolina game. Very impressed uh, most mm-hmm. of the game. He kind of let the lead slip away from him in the second half. Uh, but they have, a, they have a couple to choose from, and I'm, I'm a huge Mike Norvell fan. In fact, uh, mm-hmm. on our show, I was one of the first one to come out and say that Florida State, I was going to hire Norvell because I just uh, loved yes. what he did at Memphis. I mean, what a program he turned around over there. Memphis, a hard place to bring talent into. Absolutely. Um, and he br- he brought it in, and I, I think it's a great hire. It's just going to take him some time. Um, but as far as their weapons, they, they're, re- they're reloading a lot of uh, new faces on offense. So I, mm-hmm. I don't really – have a list of all those players that, that possibly be uh, coming in for the Seminoles. But I look for whether it's Jordan or it's um, Milton, I look for a pretty steady play out of both of those guys. We probably even see both of them. I was going to say, not, wouldn't be surprised in, in that in that home opener just to kind of throw a change up. And looking back, uh, Bill, um, it looks like Jordan Travis actually played last year in that game in South Bend. Um, accounted for almost well. Looking at it, he accounted for right at 300 yards of total offense. So, about 204 passing with a, a passing touchdown and 19 runs, 96 yards on the ground and a rushing touchdown. So, I would not be surprised if uh, Norvell sprinkles him in uh, throughout this contest and just a player to watch out for that. He loved throwing two in the uh, two games that you referenced last year, especially the North Carolina game, was Ontario Wilson, wide receiver, uh, about six foot, 180 pound uh, Z wide receiver. So they kind of have a kind of have a, a mess going. And you could see, especially if they do bring Travis in on some packages, that he's going to be uh, the guy to look out for. 
most definitely. And, um, and you know they always have a strong kicking game on both sides, the punter and kickers at Florida State. Um, mm-hmm. So it could come down. Me personally, the, the spread I think is a little too large at the moment. Um, I mm-hmm. think it's going to be a little bit closer game because what you brought up when we came on is that's going to be a very raucous crowd at, at Doak Campbell. Hopefully they yeah. eventually change that name to include Bobby Bowden well, in there somewhere. They, did. They, they've actually, they actually did the renaming uh, ceremony. So it's Doak Campbell Stadium, but Bobby Bowden Field. So, that, that, yeah. That's awesome. They, they dedicated that. I think the coach Bowden um, several years ago, I believe. So he was able to a- absolutely enjoy that. And I would not be surprised if um, if you see some kind of tribute before the game, just to where it, it it's going to it, it's going to get that place just absolutely going and playing in that kind of atmosphere. You're going to need to rely on a upperclassman type quarterback to just kind of manage the flow of emotions because. The one thing you don't want to happen, and we found this out last weekend, and you and I both talked about it on the show, um, we like Illinois versus Nebraska because there was one team playing with desperation and one team that was playing playing with preparation. In this contest, I think it's going to be a team that's playing with great emotion. And for Notre Dame, it's going to have to be you got to play with great discipline. You can't give them extra possessions, turnovers, you got to take that crowd out of the game and you got to take them out early. Well, one thing with Cohen, I remember him at Wisconsin. He did play last year because they brought in the freshman last year with Marsh. And, and mm-hmm. but, uh, but Cohen um, doesn't turn the ball over much. He'll have an occasional interception. But as far as putting the ball on the ground, he doesn't do it. And uh, we saw it a little bit a couple of times with the Notre Dame running backs last year when they mm-hmm. put the ball on the ground in sometimes not very good situations. Uh, right. But hopefully they've been working on that in the off season. But I love I love the speed of both Williams and Tyree, especially Tyree. Uh, he mm-hmm. runs a four four three forty. Uh, he's out of Virginia. They just loved him. They brought him in, a, in as an athlete uh, to begin with, and I just love his his speed. And just to just to highlight some of that speed in that game against Florida State last year, both. Uh, Williams and Tyree both went over 100 yards in that game, averaging 9.7 and 9.4 Williams and Tyree respectively with three rushing touchdowns. And that was really the difference in that game. It wasn't so much Ian Book throwing the ball. It was Florida, I'm sorry, Notre Dame, 42 rushes, 353 yards and four rushing touchdowns. That's how you keep the chains moving and keep that crowd quiet, especially when you're playing on the road. What what I love about those two guys, they're not ver- not very big, so they can hide mm-hmm. behind that big offensive line. So you're not really seeing where they're coming out of, what holes they're going to hit, um, and they Until come they out it. from behind those big offensive linemen. And then before you see them, now they're gone. <laughs> they're, I was going to say they're already at the second level, and you better have some world class speed on that secondary if you're going to try to chase them down. I know um, in the in the game last year, I saw Williams several times last season once he hits it i think it was against the clem uh it was against clemson where he hit 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 a long run where basically that speed if you're not prepared for it it would definitely sneak up on you i think that was i think that was the 75 yarder that scored the first first touchdown first touchdown of the game absolutely i think this matchup is gonna be an old school what i call big 10 matchup 
it's going to be that offensive line for Notre Dame, who we've already talked about it, led by that that tremendous tackle in Patterson, going up against two um, two transfer tackles, um, one from Georgia and Jermaine Johnson, and one from South Carolina in Kier Thompson. If Florida State has a chance to win this game, they must absolutely control the line of scrimmage because if Notre Dame is able to pick up seven, eight yards on the ground and chew that clock up, I don't think that's going to be a recipe for success for Florida State to get out of this ballgame. I agree with you 100%. And I think if they can get those six and seven, that's where Michael Mayer is going to come in big when you have Mm -hmm. second and short or or even third and short. And uh, he's a big – Big, he's tough to cover. Um, mm-hmm. He's not. He's not your your six five, two hundred twenty pound tight end. He's your six five, like two sixty tight end, and he's got right. great hands, and he's actually got good speed for for as large as he is. Mm-hmm. What are your keys um, as we get ready to wrap up here? What are your keys for Notre Dame to to get out of this um, get out of this game with a victory on Sunday night? Well, one one. Uh, I've been kind of critical on, on Coach Kelly for a while. Mm-hmm. We got to let the younger players, the the star players, get out there and play. He's like I said, he's a little stubborn. Mm-hmm. He needs to get some of those young guys in in the mix of the game early on. May not be for the whole game. Maybe just to get them in there and get them a touch or two, and mm-hmm. uh, get them some some experience. Uh, now playing big time football, and right, and but other than that. I agree with you. It's going to be we're going to we're going to hit the ground first, and then uh, it's going to open up the pass and uh, look for some of these uh, new Notre Dame wide receivers to to finally uh, prove why they're at Notre Dame. <laughs> Absolutely, and I'll, I'll I will say this: if there's a wide receiver outside of Austin that I'm gonna gonna kind of keep my eye on, that is that um, red shirt freshman uh, Jordan Johnson. Uh, just from some of the feedback I've gotten from up there at Notre Dame, this guy can flat out turn it, turn, turn the track speed on. And if Cohen takes that play action pass where if you're, you're, you're setting it up and you're, you're looking for uh, somewhere between Notre Dame's 40 and Florida State's 40, that, that, that center part of the field where you love to see really explosive play callers. And I think Tommy Reese – is going to have to take the reins off and say, okay, when we get in this opportunity, we got, we got to take that shot. I want to see, I want to see if this young man can blow past this Florida state secondary and get behind him and, and get one of those shot plays. Because like I said, you, you get up on Florida state 13, 14 points early in that first quarter, first half, it really deflates that, that energy out of that stadium and then you can just run the rest of your offense and, and, and pretty much salt the game away. Another guy I really liked last year, he really stepped up. He's a good possession receiver, and that's one, Braden Lindsey. He's going to be a mm-hmm. senior this year, and he's right there with, with Mayer, two good possession receivers, and uh, mm-hmm. he could come up big in this game as well. Kind of that move-the-chain guy. Most definitely. Well, Bill – Looking forward to um, having you on um, later on in the season. I know there's an, another couple of big-time matchups that Notre Dame's going to be involved in, uh, the, the game in Chicago with Wisconsin, Cincinnati. Hopefully you'll be able to uh, come back on the show. Most definitely. I, it's, it, 
me being a Bears fan as well, I have that rivalry with my wife because <laughs> she's from Wisconsin. She's a Packers fan. So now we're Absolutely. gonna have another we're gonna have another rivalry this year with Notre Dame playing Wisconsin. In Chicago. In Chicago. Can't get much better than that. Bill, no, let everybody sorry. know where they can hear you hear you in the and the rest of the, the guys on the show. Well, on Wednesday nights, I, I just uh, start my uh, yearly um, Irish Bills twist on sports. We cover high school football here in the Panhandle of Florida uh, with my sidekick, Absolutely. Bob Grant, on Wednesday nights from uh, 7 to 8.30 Central. And on Saturday mm-hmm. mornings, the best darn Saturday morning college football show with the Southern Gentleman Sports Show with the Georgia Dog, Pac-12 Dave, Tiger Mike, and uh, myself. And we bring you four hours of football like you've never heard it before. I can attest to that because it is always a party going on. My friend, it was a pleasure having you on and look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks again, Kenneth. Go Irish. Go Irish. That was Beatle of the Southern Gentleman Sports Show does a fan. If there is anyone who could say, I didn't sign up for this, it's Texas A&M quarterback David Walker. This is the incredible story of Walker's demanding, provocative, bitterly fought career and the most miraculous comeback of all time. Now the hardest fighting Texas A&M Aggie who ever lived reveals his life as the A&M field general inside the cold-blooded arena of college football. Join fans now in discovering the most disturbingly fascinating career in NCAA history with a youngster who lived it, including unique stories of a superb high school coach and the all-time game-changers for Aggie football, the Wishbone Gang. Walker is the only college-level quarterback to ever publish a book based on his experiences in amateur athletics and remains the youngest starting college quarterback ever. He held the single-season passing record at Sulphur High for 40 years and the single-game QB rushing record at Texas A&M for 35 years, a true dual-threat quarterback. Enjoy the flavor of Southwest Louisiana and the adopted Texas swagger in his unique voice as he takes you down a -a one-of-a-kind path you could never imagine possible in the modern era of college football. In so doing you will uncover what may be the best amateur sports story of all time how David Walker met the greatest challenge in NCAA history. Head over to Amazon today and pick up your copy. It is walking to the beat of your own drum, walking the walk, not just talking the talk. It's the walk of champions. It's the walk across the stage that forever makes Ole Miss your beloved alma mater. The Rebel Walk exists to bring fresh, unique content to Ole Miss readers. While we are certainly focused on all Rebel sports, we are also interested in taking a walk that is a little off the beaten path, producing high-quality stories you simply cannot get elsewhere. Those of us involved in the Rebel Walk make this promise to our readers, we vow to look harder and delve deeper into topics that matter to Ole Miss Rebels. You can follow Evie on Twitter at Ole Miss Evie and the Rebel Walk at The Rebel Walk and their fantastic website at www.therebelwalk.com. We are happy to have you on the journey with us. The mission of I'm Changing the Narrative is to promote positive mental health and good love for yourself and others to serve as inspiration for students, professionals and parents to create an individual legacy of purpose, passion and platform. Rachel Barbo brings positivity and purpose to students, professionals and parents across the country through her movement I'm Changing the Narrative. Presented in an encouraging and supportive environment, Rachel speaks about the power to change the narrative and to find purpose in life. In 55 minutes, Rachel covers themes such as leadership, mental health, self-care, domestic violence prevention, social justice, and interpersonal relationships. Everyone is challenged to live a life of purpose, passion, and platform. To learn more please visit unchangingthenarrative.org. While our team's professional experience dates back to the 1980s, Quick Cuts Media has been producing business-to-business and business-to-consumer media since the fall of 2011. 
Professionally produced media is essential in today's business environment. Successful companies value an educated workforce and inform vendors and clients. Whether your business is service or product-based, let us produce your business-to-business and business-to-consumer media in a budget-conscious way to help you get the most out of your media production dollars. Our systematic approach with actors, graphics, added video, and high-impact text will help you educate, inform, and excite your audience. We will deliver to you a professional video for your business in a week. Whether it is a learning management system content or training, corporate culture or marketing the team at Quick Cuts Media will be here to give you exactly what you need. For more information, please contact us at 844-277-2887 or visit us at www.quickcutsmedia.com. And ladies and gentlemen, you know, if we're talking Ole Miss football, I get the pleasure of welcoming in my good friend, Ole Miss Evie. You can follow Evie on Twitter at Ole Miss Evie and her fantastic site, The Rebel Walk. Evie, it's 2021. We got college football and we're talking Ole Miss. Yes, I'm so excited. I mean, it just feels like Ah, you know, <laughs> I know I can't quite feel fall in the air just yet with a feels like of 106 here today, but I'm getting closer. Well, fantastic. I know that you guys have been doing a fantastic job over there at the Rebel Walk. So, Evie, let's get into this matchup um, Monday Monday night, closing out the uh, first weekend of college football, Ole Miss taking on Louisville. I know everybody has been talking about um, Heisman Trophy candidate Matt Corral, uh, the improvements that this team is going to need to make on defense. But, Evie, I want to start by uh, highlighting a talented running back for that Ole Miss Rebel team, and that's Jerion Ely. Tell me a little bit about this running back and how does Lane see using him uh, in this upcoming season? Well, <coughs> excuse me, I tell you what. He, Jerion, we actually had Jerion uh, talk to us in the press conference today, but mainly, I mean, he's a, he's on the Doak Walker, the Maxwell, the Paul Horning award watch list, preseason All-America first team, all purpose. Um, he, uh, I think, uh, scored a touchdown in eight of nine games in 2020, um, average 5.1 yards per carry, just a, a a wonderful kid on top of being a special athlete. I mean, I know you and I have talked about it before and uh, he might remind you of a certain uh, great running back from USC that perhaps we can talk about, but um, anyway, just a talented kid. And I Mm -hmm. think Lane Kiffin is going to find really innovative ways to get him the ball this year. He's talked about that. We're going to see Ely in the slot. some, So I think it's just going to be really fun to see what this kid does. And listeners, just to kind of let you know, um, a couple of weeks ago, I tweeted out to uh, head coach Lane Kiffin um, a, a, a little uh, clip of former USC, and I, I will still say Heisman Trophy winning um, Reggie Bush, uh, that Lane was very familiar with during his time at USC. So I said I wanted to see Lane kind of use Jerry on the same way that they use Reggie, whether it was um, as a running back, as a wide receiver, kick returner, who we saw him take back a kick return last year, and he is a dynamic punt returner. I want to see him get the ball um, in a combination of ways at least 20 to 25 times in every ball game. 
Right. Absolutely. And I think, uh, I think if I'm not wrong, I think Lane, uh, saw your tweet and, <laughs> and responded or quote tweeted you. So, he did. um, yeah, I thought that was fun. Um, anyway, I, I just think that, man, I mean, I just can't wait to watch this team play. I mean, I think that, that Corral has learned a lot in uh, the off season, you know, having a, a, a year under his belt with Kippen and Lebby in their scheme and mm-hmm. returning four or five offensive linemen. Um, I just think that this offense has an opportunity to be really special. So I'm really excited to watch it. And Evie, I would tell Ole Miss fans um, listening to this show and, uh, and following your site um, that this, this Ole Miss record last year of four and five, um, as far as during the conference play and, of course, winning a bowl game. This team, had they taken care of the ball in three contests last year, and I'm talking about the Auburn game, of course, the, the blow-up game with Arkansas, and even that uh, six-turnover game against LSU. If you win the turnover battle in those three games, this Ole Miss record looks a lot more of what it should have been, more of a um, just two-loss um, SEC record and, and no shame uh, losing to uh, both teams that played in the SEC championship game, that being Florida and Alabama, that this team should have easily beaten LSU. I mean, you put up 48 points and uh, had six turnovers in that ball game. Um, you lose a game to Arkansas where you turn the ball over seven times in that contest. Any team that turns the ball over seven times should absolutely lose 63 right. to 10. And right. that was that was basically a, a one-score game until the final minutes of the game when Arkansas pushed it out to 12 uh, to win yeah. 33 to 21. So, Ole Miss fans, uh, I will say this. If, if Matt takes care of the ball, which I'm pretty sure he's been coached up all offseason <laughs> – that if they take care of the ball, this team could absolutely put up the same kind of video game numbers we saw last season. I think so, too. And I think that, you know, I think a lot of people focus on, well, you've, you know, you've lost Elijah Moore and Kenny Yeboah. And, you know, how are you going to replace that? And I think a lot of, you know, I think Kiffin has been asked that and so has Corral. And I think that the the answer is going to be, I think you're going to see, I mean, you may very well see someone emerge that is an Elijah Moore type of, of player on the team, but I really think that you're going to see a lot more action with different people. I think Mm -hmm. like we've talked before, we've got Braylon Sanders, Don Terrio Drummond. uh, They're both seniors. Jonathan Mingo is a junior. I mean, these are three solid receivers who have been around Mm -hmm. a while and uh, Sanders, Sanders, actually, I, I kind of feel like uh, Elijah made his mark kind of when, you know, we lost uh, Braylon to injury. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's when Elijah really stepped up. And uh, so I, I just think it's going to be really interesting. I think the, the uh, depth chart came out today. And so mm-hmm. that was interesting to get a look at that. And we've got um, 
interestingly, we've so we've got uh, wide receiver one, Braylon Sanders, wide receiver two, Dontario Drummond, and mm-hmm. then Jonathan Mingo. So um, we've got, it looks like uh, John Rice Plumley will be uh, backing up Drummond. So, but I mean, I think that we all know that in this offense, it's kind of like you say with Miami. I mean, we're going to see a lot. You know, there's no mm-hmm. way John Rice Plumley is going to be on the bench for, for too long, I don't think. I, so. I, I certainly don't think so. I and... don't think so. <laughs> And with this Kiffin offense, you're going to see uh, them cycle in a lot of wide receivers. So you're going to get to you're going to need to know um, well in into that um, uh, wide receiver room because you're going to see four, five, six wide receivers get a lot of snaps uh, throughout throughout the season for Ole Miss. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't know that uh, I don't believe we've talked about this, but interestingly, media, we all just found out that Ole Miss has added a transfer quarterback, uh, a young man who's actually from Birmingham, Alabama, and Hmm. is at Ole Miss via Western Kentucky, uh, Terrell Pigrom. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but uh, senior transfer. And I think the the theory behind that is we've got, you know, Plumlee playing receiver. So he hadn't Mm -hmm. been taking, you know, really any reps at at QB. So then that leaves you with a very inexperienced Kincaid Dent, who Mm -hmm. um, is a is a good, you know, good, solid six, five, 210 pound quarterback. But he's just a sophomore and hadn't had you know, any experience. And then uh, Luke Altmeyer, a, a true freshman right. who enrolled early, but, and Luke is kind of banged up. So he's, he hasn't been able to participate fully in practices. So really, and truly, I think that's just another really good move by Kiffin because you're looking at anything happens to corral, you know, what do you do? <laughs> so, oh, right. you know, right. that's, that's going to be kind of interesting. And another interesting thing here is when we got a look at the depth chart at mm-hmm. running back, what would you think about a running back room that had Snoop Connor as the fourth running back? Wow. Jerry okay. Ely, first string, Henry mm-hmm. Parrish, second, Kentrell Bullock, and then Snoop. Now, wow. I don't know about you, but somebody tweeted and said, if Snoop Connor is really the fourth string running back on our team, we probably better have the best running back group in the, in, in the conference because that's pretty. he's a pretty darn good running back. He is a very good running back. So for him to be down on the depth chart, uh, could Lane be uh, using some of the Jedi master tricks that he learned there in Alabama <laughs> yes. to, to maybe send a message to Snoop saying, yes. hey, um, step it up because we have somebody that is right behind you that's ready to take some meaningful snaps. I absolutely that's one of the one of the first things I thought is Snoop Connor is nobody's fourth string running back. I would not mm-hmm. think. Um, and so that's that's exactly what I was thinking is the Nick Saban Jedi school, my <laughs> school you know, of tricks. But that's exactly what that was. So uh, that was, that's funny. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, I can't imagine any world where you're not using, you know, Snoop's skills and he's the mm-hmm. biggest running back. He's 220 pounds. And mm-hmm. so, you know, but, but it is funny, you know, you just never know with, with Lane Kiffin. We just you know, <laughs> never it's, know what's it's, coming. 
<laughs> it's always a fun roller coaster ride. That's right. That's right. Edie, let's talk about the, the the position group that I've said needed to um, get some get some bodies on it. And uh, credit to Lane for going out and not only um, from a recruiting standpoint recruiting standpoint, but also the JUCO route, and that's upgrading that defensive line. I think mm-hmm. you don't need the defense to be spectacular. You just need the defense to be situational. And, and listeners, what I'm talking about is you just need to force two more punts per game, uh, create one turnover per game, and maybe force a team into a longer field goal try, whether they make it or miss it. Because if you can change the narrative, and getting um, the opponent's points per game down from where it was at 38 points per game, mm-hmm. if you could get that down to about 31 or even 30 points per game, if I'm Lane Kiffin, if I'm Jeff Levy, if you tell me my defense is going to hold the opponents um, in these 12, 12 games on average to about 30, 31 points, I like my chances a lot more. So let's talk about that defensive front for Ole Miss. Yes, that's what I absolutely would wanted to talk about next. I think it's interesting that we see, you're absolutely right, Lane. I was asked on a show earlier today, you know, why do we think this defense is going to be better? And Lane was actually asked that in, after practice today because he said mm-hmm. the defense looked good. They only gave up uh, one first down, I think he said, to the offense. So mm-hmm. in their mock game. So that was kind of interesting. But, um, Lane has gone out and filled areas of need like like a master in my book. Mm-hmm. And that defensive front was smaller for SEC play last year. They didn't have much depth. So if you're smaller and you don't have as many bodies, I mean, you're in trouble in the SEC. Absolutely. And so one thing I noticed is, so with the two JUCO defensive lineman that transferred in for this year, Isaiah Iton and mm-hmm. Jamon Gordon. They were actually one and two mm-hmm. in JUCO in the rankings. And they are listed Isaiah or Jamon as the starting defensive tackle. Okay. So that's good to have, you know, I mean two really good kids and you know they've made it made it into the starting lineup. Um Taiwan Malone, amazing, you know, 6'4", 310 pound big boy, you know, recruit from Bergen Catholic in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. He's the backup to Sam Williams. And, you know, that that tells me I think Taiwan's going to see a lot of of action. Uh, interestingly, we've got uh, sophomore Cedric Johnson, who mm-hmm. has taken over one of the defensive end spots. It looks like he's first string ahead of Tarikius Tisdale. So that's okay. a little bit of a, of a change. Then what I'm really excited about watching I'm, I want to see the linebackers. I'm a big Lakia Henry fan. I think yeah. he's phenomenal athletic. Um, and middle linebacker, uh, Ole Miss has Momo Sonogo, who's just one of my all-time favorites, but uh, mm-hmm. excellent player. But they also right now have Chance Campbell and Momo Sonogo penciled in as, you know, or Chance Campbell or Momo Sonogo at the linebacker spot, which Chance is a transfer in from Maryland. Right. And so, you know, everyone is, has kind of wondered how was he going to adapt to – you know, SEC level. So we're, we're going to see, we're going to see there how that goes. But I just feel like Kiffin has been 
really brilliant in the way it's like he talks about it. It's like the NFL, you know, you've mm-hmm. got free agency, you've got the transfer portal, you've got, you know, JUCO transfers, grad transfers, high school recruiting, and you just have to utilize all these things in in a really very I mean I I can't even imagine the spreadsheet they must have to keep up with all this but I just feel like he's really gone and gotten players for areas of need and I don't know that that was as much the case in the past years that I've covered Ole Miss so Mm -hmm. credit to him uh, on what he's building and one of the things that I, I know you and I talked about was you needed bodies to where you weren't just wearing out wearing out that defensive line because as you get later into the season, that depth, especially on the defensive line, is going to pay dividends. So having a Sam Williams, having a Tisdale, um, mm-hmm. even, even bringing in Chance, even if Momo goes down, you have somebody who's called, called a defense from that middle linebacker spot to where now you're not bringing in um, – either true freshmen or either red shirt freshmen who haven't had any playing experience. Now, albeit it is a step up for uh, even the JUCO transfers, at least they've had collegiate snaps to where it's not going to be a culture shock for them to be on the field. Right. And, you know, this is another, this goes to that point perfectly. Uh, right now on the depth chart, uh, first string strong safety is Jake Springer, a young man who transferred to Ole Miss from Navy, okay. had to sit out all of the 2020 season on the practice squad, but got so much attention, uh, just did such a great job. And now is, you know, apparently, I mean, he started 10 of 13 games in 2019 for mm-hmm. Navy and was all AAC second team, had 69 tackles, led the team with 16 tackles for loss, eight sacks and finished third in school history in single-season sacks. So that's another kid that comes in and knows what he's doing and Mm -hmm. spent a year on the practice squad, knows the system now, and is now the starting strong safety. So I think, you know, there's a really good mix there of veteran players, new, young, talented players, and just a a much bigger-looking line to me. So that's going to be important. Absolutely. Evie, let's flip the attention over to the opponents for, for Ole Miss in this game. What are your thoughts on Louisville and what are uh, two or three keys that you expect uh, Ole Miss are, are going to need to come out with a win on Monday night? Well, you know, I think probably um, probably pretty much what, what everyone would say is, uh, you know, Malik Cunningham, don't let him, <laughs> you know, don't let him go, go nuts on you because he's apparently, you know, an excellent passer and runner. Um, I think uh, he's the leading returning rusher after J.B. and Hawkins left for the NFL. So that's mm-hmm. going to be really interesting. Um, I think that they have uh, 31 players uh, on their roster who started at least one game last season, mm-hmm. uh, three who started all 11 games, and they're all on on offense. But definitely I think Cunningham is going to be the key, and Ole Miss just can't let him run wild on them. You know, they can't just, uh, you know, stop him in the passing game and then let him, you know, let him run for 200 yards. You know? So um, right. I, I think that that I think that's where where it's going to be. You're going to have to get get pressure on him. And Kiffin talked about him today, too. And 
uh, you know, said what, a, you know, said all the right things, what a talented player he is, but he's right. And I think he also mentioned that there were only last season a certain number of teams who had 200 yards passing and 200 yards rushing, average 200 yards passing, 200 yards mm-hmm. rushing. And I think Louisville was one of those teams. So, um, I, you know, I think they, they have a, a healthy respect for them. And he also, you know, Kiffin said, you know, they've had the whole off season to look at us, you know, the first game's always really challenging because you're not really sure what they're going to do. So basically mm-hmm. he said, we've just got to do our stuff really well. Right. And interestingly, it could be, um, I wanted to mention this Kiffin actually commented today and said, he thinks his defense or his whole team actually looks better physically even Mm -hmm. the same guys not the new guys after a whole year in his weight program which i'm quite sure we know where he brought that from but um got got an idea yeah got an idea and that's a really big deal when you start seeing guys the same guys whose bodies Mm -hmm. look different and mm-hmm. I think that, you know, he came right out and said, I think we're going to be better on defense. It feels like that. You know, I mean, you got to get through a game and see. But I, right. I mean, for Kiffin to say that, again, I don't think Kiffin just says that lightly. So that's going to be, you know, he knows that the that defensively the challenge is to contain Cunningham because he throws the ball really well and he can take off and run. So, Absolutely. So. Evie, last few thoughts here. So if Ole Miss, um, Ole Miss comes into this game uh, at last check, almost a nine-and-a-half-point favorite, uh, you and I have talked about um, seeing Lane, especially inside of the red zone, really kind of um, get back to um, being Lane Kiffin, that, that dynamic play caller. Is he, is he still planning on stamp, uh, sticking with that fast pace inside of the red zone? Or um, has he talked about kind of getting back to uh, taking taking more time and assessing what the defense is trying to do instead of just go hurry up? You know, that's a good question. He hasn't really addressed that, and we have not been allowed. I mean, this is you want to talk about another page out of Saban's book, I bet. <laughs> um, he has Lane kind of shut things down at a certain point in in practice like we were able to see like the first week or so but then we kind of weren't so much anymore but what I can tell you is the center that we have the transfer center Orlando Mana mm-hmm. um, basically a lot of us were watching him to see you know how he was going to do with this tempo and we we saw a lot of that I mean we didn't get to see uh, we saw one scrimmage early on and they were definitely going going pretty fast and it didn't look like they slowed that much when they got inside the red zone. So I don't know. You know, I think Lane is wily like a fox, you know, so I'm not really sure. Um, you know, he got frustrated when apparently one of the media, when we were watching the first scrimmage, one of the media members uh, wrote something about, well, they were in a four wide receiver set. Oh, and boy. apparently <laughs> Kiffin got, yeah, he didn't like that. He he didn't, he didn't want any, you know, any details given out. And so after that, I think we were pretty much, we were done. <laughs> yeah, you, you, yeah, we were done. You guys were, you guys were in timeout just for a little bit. <laughs> we're in timeout. So, um, anyway, I, that's going to be fun to watch. I mean, I don't know. I'm really interested in that. I kind of suspect that with a spring 
under his belt with these kids, more time with them. I would be willing to bet that you're right. I think we're going to see more of the Lane Kiffin that you know and and sort of love <laughs> because I think he's just simply had more time with them. And I think last year, you know, he talked about how they just kind of had to adapt their mm-hmm. system to the players that they had. And I think that, you know, this, this, this year, I think we're going to see much more of, of the old lane. That's what I think. And for Ole Miss fans, I would tell you that that will be a very welcome sight. I've, I've seen lane as a play caller for a long time, uh, whether it was in the NFL or uh, at some uh, college stops. So I've noticed offense really well. So Evie, let everybody know where they can follow you and follow the Rebel Walk. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me and for giving me this opportunity. And um, people can find us at therebelwalk.com. And we are on Facebook at the Rebel Walk. And um, same on Twitter at the Rebel Walk. And we are excited. We've started a new message board forum which you can get either go to our website therebelwalk.com and look for the forum graphic or you can go to forum.therebelwalk.com and we've got some cool things coming up some ask me anythings with some former players uh we've got vince sanders this coming thursday who was a wide receiver that you might remember from the game of 2014 that Ole miss actually beat alabama so uh, i i, I recall it made a nice touchdown catch there and then uh, we've got cody pruitt who i think cody pruitt you might remember also so i, I um, know cody, cody, no cody. so anyway we've got some fun things um coming up on our forum and i'm just thankful for this time and thankful for you and your insight i'm really really grateful and i'm excited about football evie always a pleasure as i've I've told people evie was my first guest to ever come on the podcast and nobody's been on the show more often than evie um i consider evie not only a mentor but also a dear friend and i can't thank you enough for coming on and ladies and gentlemen there is no one and no site better uh, equipped to cover anything Ole Miss sports related in Ole Miss Evie and her fantastic team of Rebel Walk. So Evie, enjoy the game Monday night and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Kenneth. The mission of Unchanging the Narrative is to promote positive mental health and good love for yourself and others to serve as inspiration for students, professionals, and parents to create an individual legacy of purpose, passion, and platform. Rachel Barbo brings positivity and purpose to students, professionals, and parents across the country through her movement Unchanging the Narrative. Presented in an encouraging and supportive environment, Rachel speaks about the power to change the narrative and to find purpose in life. In 55 minutes, Rachel covers themes such as leadership, mental health, self-care, domestic violence prevention, social justice, and interpersonal relationships. Everyone is challenged to live a life of purpose, passion, and platform. To learn more please visit unchangingthenarrative.org. While our team's professional experience dates back to the 1980s, Quick Cuts Media has been producing business-to-business and business-to-consumer media since the fall of 2011. Professionally produced media is essential in today's business environment. Successful companies value an educated workforce and informed vendors and clients. Whether your business is service or product-based, let us produce your business-to-business and business-to-consumer media in a budget-conscious way to help you get the most out of your media production dollars. Our systematic approach with actors, graphics, added video, and high-impact text will help you educate, inform, and excite your audience. 
we will deliver to you a professional video for your business in a week. Whether it is a learning management system content or training, corporate culture or marketing the team at Quick Cuts Media will be here to give you exactly what you need. For more information, please contact us at 844-277-2887 or visit us at www.quickcutsmedia.com. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm pleased to be joined by my good friend, Taylor Bell. You can find Taylor on Twitter at TaylorBell222 and follow his fantastic podcast, The Hopeless Sports Manic. Taylor, welcome into the podcast, my friend. Thanks for having me. Hey, let's get into it. This is my uh, featured game of the weekend. It is the Georgia Bulldogs traveling to Charlotte, North Carolina to take on the Clemson Tigers. And as we get into this matchup a little bit, talk to me about uh, from the Georgia the Georgia side of things. Where do you see uh, this team uh, now that they've gotten JT Daniels um, fully healthy? and got a chance to see him in three SEC contests last year and, of course, uh, the bowl game against Cincinnati. The, it's it's just a massive shift away from the typical narrative here at Georgia, and it, it just gives you – you're kind of able to relax a little bit as a fan mm-hmm. because Georgia's always been very heavily reliant on the running game and chewing the clock and playing complementary football in that regard, and – keeping their fingers crossed that you don't give up any big plays uh, to your opponent. And then that's definitely something that's in the back of your mind when you go up against the top teams like Alabama or Clemson. Mm-hmm. Now with JT Daniels at the helm, the f- script is flipped to where now we're the team that we can hit you with big plays. If you score on us, that's no biggie because we've got all these weapons on offense. We can hit you. With an, in a number of different ways down the scene with some of these tight ends, down outside the numbers with these speedy receivers. If you want to turn it into a methodical game, there's guys that can work as possession receivers and move the chains. And then it's we're still RBU. We still have five returning tailbacks that can all that all have very complementary skill sets. And we're going to get into some of those um, running backs there. And um, before I do, um, I know Darnell Washington is. Um, listed as out for this contest or or we have him graded as doubtful but uh fully expect him um not to play in the ball game do you see a a more of a role for uh john fitzpatrick um at the tight end spot i definitely do for sure he's he's got more size than say a brock bowers who's a freshman they both have pretty solid pass catching ability mm-hmm. but he, fitzpatrick is going to be a more physical run blocker so I think okay. when it gets when they go into maybe some twelve personnel, those more those heavier sets under center, they're going to defer okay. to the guy that's got more experience and more size. But I do expect Rock Bowers to be used maybe in an H back capacity and used in the passing game in this contest. Now speaking speaking of those personnel groupings, uh, do you see with um, Jackson and Burden um, from a health standpoint? Are they uh, full go in this ball game, or um, are they kind of limited uh, coming coming off of uh, injuries themselves? I, I believe, but that they both will be a hundred percent ready to go. I think the coaching staff has been pretty cautious with them. Mm-hmm. If I have to pick and choose between one guy that's going to be a hundred percent, I think Jermaine Burton's going to be the guy that's going to be more a hundred percent because he's dealt more. I believe with an ankle injury as compared mm-hmm. to a knee injury. So I think just with it being just the, the body part that's at risk here, 
and right. just the game that uh, Jermaine plays where he's going to be more on the outside, whereas Kiaris Jackson is the slot receiver. I think right. if, I think Jermaine's going to be more effective in this game. And and as far as that that X receiver playing the opposite of Burden on the outside, um, is it is it going to be Robertson or um, the other wide receiver? Um, it, it's it's going to be Rosamie Jackson most likely. Right. Yeah, he's he's most likely going to be there at the X position. They'll they'll probably move in a variety of guys. There's been, I believe. Um, McCormick or something uh, as a mm-hmm. freshman has had a pretty good spring so they could use him in different spots but uh Marcus Rosemey Jackson is going to be the guy that's going to get the start most likely at the X position with Jermaine Burton at the Z. Okay, fantastic. Uh I know that that was a question that that was um kind of one of my 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 topics to look at. We know about the talented running backs at, at Georgia. I mean, this is as you said nothing new. Is the expectation uh, from from your offensive coordinator, your top Munkin, is he leaning more eleven personnel, or is he looking to play maybe some two uh, two running back sets? I, I'm thinking just with with the passing weapons out there, even despite the injuries, I think we're going to see plenty of uh, eleven personnel. I don't really expect to see a lot of that. He's always just with his offense; it's going to be a lot more of. Uh, a lot of three by one, for mm-hmm. example, is a lot, a lot really spreading the ball out, slinging it down the field. So I'm look for it to be a lot of uh, one back sets, but for sure, um, looking like Zamir White and Kendall mm-hmm. Milton are going to be the guys that are going to be get a majority of the ca- of the carries, and look for okay. James Cook to be kind of the third down back in the change passing, up. passing situations. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Uh, flipping over to that defense, and, and, and I've talked all, all season long, uh, this is one of the three or four best defensive front sevens uh, returning in all of college football. I stacked them right up there with that um, Clemson defensive front that you're going to see on the opposite side, That this Alabama defensive front seven, and of course, Ohio State. I got them all right there. You, you could toss them in a hat. And whichever one you pulled out last, you wouldn't be disappointed. And it all starts up front with that big war daddy in the middle, Jordan Davis. Um, No Georgia fans are excited to see him back. What does it mean to have that big fella uh, anchoring that defensive nose tackle spot? It it just means you know that the run defense is going to be consistently there. Georgia's been, I believe, top three in the country in yards per game rushing Mm -hmm. the last three seasons. And – Jordan Davis was a big reason for that. He was able to do exactly what you want a nose tackle and a any any uh, three down lineman set to do. He's going to occupy the center and the guard and allow the, the speedy linebackers that Georgia has to go sideline to sideline and make a lot of plays in the backfield. And he's just the the veteran leader on a on a this team, and he's kind of the emotional anchor. So if the team gets caught up in possibly getting off kilter a little bit mentally he's the guy that kind of keeps everybody in check and keeps everybody on top of their game down the stretch oh fantastic and another guy that i wanted to highlight off of that that defense line and there there's a lot of them i'm i'm gonna go to uh his running mate also uh a returning senior and that's julian rochester a guy who can not only uh play uh in your sub packages right next to um a jordan davis 
but also can um, provide you some interior pass rush, which I think against Clemson could be vital to um, disrupting that passing game that you're going to see from Clemson on, on Saturday night. Yeah, Rochester has always been a guy that he's he's got a very strong push up the middle. So mm-hmm. we, we might not necessarily see sacks come from him. I think the sacks are going to come more from the likes of Adam Anderson and Nolan Smith from the outside. But mm-hmm. there definitely can still be turnover opportunities coming from Rochester and Davis with their ability to kind of push up the middle and affect the, the pocket and force Absolutely. the, force the uh, quarterback to have to throw the ball from – unorthodox angles and it can affect obviously the the accuracy of the throw and and let's talk about that that talented linebacker core I know um N'Kobe Dean and, and rightfully so is going to get a lot of mention as far as the Buckus award but one of the guys that um I've heard you talk about quite often um along with Nolan Smith is outside pass rusher Adam Anderson tell me a little bit about this pass rusher so he's very much a speed rusher. He's 6'4", I believe, about 225. Mm-hmm. Very thin frame, but he's got almost a Von Miller-like bend. He can he can mm-hmm. get his get-off is too fast for any of the bigger left tackles, and then even if they're kind of quicker, he can still get underneath them. Mm-hmm. And he's very good at getting he he's comes fast and out of control you see a lot of these speed rushers where they'll come off the edge and then they have it looks like a clean shot and you'll see a mobile quarterback kind of spin out of the way and Mm -hmm. roll out he he's very good at being quick but staying under control and he's always attacking the ball he's very good at creating turnovers if you want to see what he looks like when he's at his best I would definitely look back to the game against Auburn last year that was probably his best game of the season and that is definitely a game that I will be um, going back and looking um, looking at very carefully before I finish up the breakdown of this uh, particular ball game. Now, is he uh, one of the um, since you say he's kind of a thin thinner frame uh, linebacker? Is he used more so in a situational pass rush, or is he um, going to be a three down linebacker in this Georgia defense? I, I I wouldn't be surprised either way. He was mainly used as a third uh, third down pass rusher last year because of mm-hmm. sitting behind Aziz Ojolari, who was right. just better against the run. We've mm-hmm. even seen Adam used at the star position in nickel packages. Right, but um, I, I I think at this point, especially with the the quarterback you're dealing with on the on Clemson side of the ball, and the fact that Clemson wasn't a very good running team last year. I think mm-hmm. you're going to see Adam on the field a majority of the time. Uh, that's fascinating. If there is a position that um, would possibly cause some concern uh, for you and the Georgia fan uh, fan base there, would it be the cornerback position because of just the veteran uh, presence that you lost with, with not only one, but uh, both starting cornerbacks being drafted um, highly in the NFL draft last year? I, I would probably that that's a close second. I'd probably look at the strong safety position. Okay. There's um, a couple of guys that have been switched in and out. Hasn't really been one guy to really separate himself as much. You do have Lewis Seen, who's one of the few returning starters in the mm-hmm. back end of the secondary on the opposite side. But there's not really as much of a guy that you would expect from a typical Georgia defense that really uh, pops off the screen. I think. The, the, there's worries about Keely Ringo stepping up early on, but 
he's about as polished as I've seen a corner come straight out of high school. So I mm-hmm. think his transition to the collegiate level to playing top programs isn't going to be as much of a struggle as it could be. And then Darion Kendrick has about as much of an advantage on Clemson as any other player is going to be considering he played for them last year and he right. knows the defensive scheme and the offensive scheme about as well as any player is going to on Georgia. And, and that's a fascinating point that um, Kendrick, like you mentioned, uh, played um, in their rotation at the um, cornerback spot uh, for Clemson last year. Gonna know um, possibly some tendencies. Hopefully, um, for for Georgia fans, doesn't get baited into um, reading reading the mail early and gets uh, beat on a double move there. So, um, as far as um, other corners in the rotation. I know you mentioned uh, Ringo. Um, any chance we're going to see um, see any of the other uh, incoming freshmen uh, get some meaningful snaps? Because um, Tyke Smith, the uh, West Virginia transfer, also suffering uh, from a foot injury, looks to be out for that ball game as well. I, I think we could see if if it gets deep into maybe some dime packages. That I would like to see Lavasia Carroll could possibly get some snaps. He actually came in as a running back and then saw the that the uh, secondary was more of a necessity and with how stacked the backfield already was at Georgia, he mm-hmm. moved to defensive back. So I think we could see him getting some snaps. But I think that uh, the, with how Latavius Brainy played uh, in the uh, Peach Bowl last year and towards the mm-hmm. end of the season, I think he'll probably get more of the snaps over some of the younger guys as well. Okay, so going with going with experience there because in a ball game like this, you're going to want to have as many veterans, especially on that back end of the secondary as possible. Especially, yes, especially with how much uh, Tony Elliott and the Clemson offense, they use a lot of motions, a lot of eye candy, which I think absolutely guys are more susceptible to falling victim to. Oh, per- perfect analogy there. So l- let's flip it back to JT Daniels. So uh, the, the games that we saw him in, and, we're, and I'm going to focus uh, primarily on the, the three conference games because that's when you saw this Georgia roster really – um, at his full strength. I, I tell people um, that Cincinnati game, even though um, Georgia won that won that ball game, that was what I call the B team as far as what uh, Georgia was at the end of the season. You had a lot of guys opting out of that game. So it, it, it really isn't, for me, fair to judge JT on that game, despite having a really good game. I want to take a look at his last, uh, the last three games that he started. Mississippi State, South Carolina and Missouri. Um, going back and looking at those games, it, it's kind of a mixed bag for me as far as how to kind of judge uh, JT Daniels on a kind of on a on a balanced scale, if you will. Yeah, it's it's it was tricky. With you, you could kind of tell, and JT's father himself has said this as well that he he wasn't quite back to a hundred percent. I think even if he's physically there a hundred percent at least through the first couple of games. I think it just takes a time, a guy some time to get some in-game reps to get comfortable back on that knee. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest example of that is we, we, we saw him make the, those 15 to 20-yard throws outside the numbers, kind of those moving the chains throws, the dig routes over the middle perfectly mm-hmm. fine 
when it's more instinctual. But I think those times where he really had to load up on that knee to let the ball go down the field, we kind of saw a couple of underthrows. But if you mm-hmm. go back and look at his high school tape, obviously arm strength wasn't really an issue for them. So I look for that to be something that's kind of where he's back to normal as far as his uh, passing capabilities go. And and it wasn't that he had had any bad games. I know that that South Carolina game where people are going to look only 139 yards passing. Georgia basically lined it up and pounded the rock that entire game. So there, w- I mean, he only had 16 uh, passing attempts in that game. So nothing nothing out of the normal for that. And what I love most was that touchdown to INT ratio, uh, 10 passing touchdowns, two INTs. Now as we progress into to where he 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 has the full season you want to see that that touchdown ratio uh kind of what we saw from the elite quarterbacks that got uh got their teams to the playoffs last season eight and a half touchdowns to every int i I certainly think jt daniels has that capability and as you mentioned the the wide receivers and tight ends um to be more more featured in this offense Given the, the the physical limitations that we saw with Stetson Bennett and, of course, um, who, who uh, Dewan Mathis, I was blanking on there for a second, uh, just wasn't able to push the ball down the field with a lot of consistency. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely comes in handy when it. I think it honestly affects the way your opponent plays offensively. If they want to try to play more methodical, that kind of pushes them to be more aggressive and. Mm-hmm that's going to allow the Georgia defense to use its speed to its advantage. And just the, 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 the biggest thing that I look for from the Georgia defense is always, you want to see 11 G's near the ball, kind Mm -hmm. of just that, that every, every hat getting to the ball, but on the offensive side, it's, it's just, it's, it plays very well with the type of defense that Brent Venable likes to run. He's going to use a a lot of uh, four, two, five. So if you're going to, with kind of quarters, really limit big plays. So if you're going to hit those big plays, like we saw Ohio state do, you really got to have top receivers that can get open against guys and you got to have quarterbacks that can throw the ball into tight windows. So I think that's kind of the perfect time for Georgia to get settled in here with this kind of offense they've got. And and getting to this matchup, because this is the one everybody's talking about, how are Georgia fans taking this Clemson game? Is it a we want to win this game or we need to win this ball game? I, I think it depends on who you talk to. But for me, it I definitely want to win this game. This is the kind of premier matchup that a top tier team is going to win. Mm-hmm. And But at the same time, it is week one. If, if this game, the biggest thing you don't want, obviously, to happen is you don't want, I don't think, I think Clemson fans are the same way. You can take a loss. You can't take a beat down here because mm-hmm. with Georgia, Georgia doesn't have the toughest schedule in the world. I think it really could depend on where Florida stands by the time Jacksonville comes around. But right. you don't, you don't really want to be heading into week two with this push or right. All right. We got to win now and we got to win our conference. If we want to have a shot at the playoff, it's nice that you can head into week two, get these tune up games going while you have a nice little um, game that you can, that the committee can look back on that can really help you out. If you do make it into the playoffs, just because say they lose get week one and run the table, then you're either a three seed or a four seed. Whereas you win this game, you can be a one or a two seed and your opponent in the semifinal 
is most likely going to be a team that's going to be a lot easier to beat. And and I would say for for me, just breaking down this game and, and especially the schedules of both teams, this is the biggest regular season game um, as far as um, Kirby Smart's coaching career. And I would say for Georgia, it's probably the biggest regular season game since September 7, 2008, when uh, I believe a number three Georgia ranked team uh, welcomed in a number eight ranked team from Alabama during the blackout game. And the reason I, I point to that game is this. For Georgia, you win this game, you now control your destiny for the rest of the season, where if you take care of business the rest of the season, you will, at worst case, be going into the SEC championship game, the number one or two ranked team in the uh, college football playoffs. You lose this game, now you're forced to run the table. You can't have that hiccup game against, against Florida, and it almost means that you have to win that SEC championship game where not saying that Georgia would go into the SEC championship game thinking it's okay if we lose, but it gives you that mulligan. If you are undefeated, let's say you're facing an undefeated Alabama team, it gives you that window of, okay, we know that if we take care of business in the SEC championship game, we're in the college football playoff instead of leaving it to the committee. It's that old uh, boxing adage. Uh, you never want to leave the decision up to the referees. You want to go into basically Clemson's backyard. This is almost a home game for Clemson. Go into Clemson, go into Charlotte, take out Clemson, and no matter what, Clemson is always going to be behind you in the rankings. Yeah, it's it's, it's I, I think it's a very great, very great comparison to the, uh, the blackout game in 08 just because I think ever since that point, that was the game that Nick Saban really established that Alabama was going to be the alpha dog in the SEC. And I think if Georgia wins this game against a perennial powerhouse that's consistently in the semifinal, in the playoffs, and been Mm -hmm. winning and playing for national titles, if you can knock a team off like that, that puts the the eyeballs on you as Georgia being the uh, alpha dog with a AW, I should say if they can come right. and win this game. Right. So, Taylor, um, as we get ready to wrap it up, what are your keys to victory for the University of Georgia to come out of this contest with a win on Saturday night in prime time? The, the key for me is to to not get too, uh, I guess, I don't want to the the opposite of gun shy. I don't want to give them to get overly aggressive. I mm-hmm. want them to take what's given to them. This is a team that's been there before. This is going to be a – you're going to grind it out. It's going to be a possession-by-possession game. It could very well come down to the last play. So they mm-hmm. need to stay level-headed and just work their offense, work their game plan as well as they can and just focus on what they can control. Absolutely. Taylor, my friend, looking forward to catching up with you all off season. Let the listeners know where they can find you and find your podcast. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at TaylorBell222, and you can check out my podcast, The Hopeless Sports Mated Podcast. It's available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, basically anywhere you can find a podcast, The Hopeless Sports Mated Podcast is there. Taylor, it's been a pleasure, my friend. And like I said, ladies and gentlemen, if you're looking for a great source to follow the University of Georgia Bulldogs, check out my good friend Taylor Bell. 
Taylor, look forward to catching up with you soon, my friend. Thank you.